This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. And welcome in to the first game recap damn podcast of the 2022 season i'm your host carter baines i'm joined as always by beaverblitz.com publisher angie machado who watched oregon state's season opener last night from the comfort of her house i was at research stadium in the temporary press box to watch the action and we are here on the 24 7 sports podcast network and beaverblitz.com to recap it all Oregon State's 34-17 to 17 win over the Broncos uh, from the Gem State, from Treasure Valley. It was, I think, a game that had a little bit of everything and a game that Angie and I are both pretty excited about the result. Um, I know a lot of Oregon State fans out there are pretty happy with the, thing, with the way things went. We can't waste too much time here in this intro. we got to get right into it because we've got so much to cover. So much. But I want to, uh, you know, give you a little rundown of what we're going to cover here since this is our first game recap pod of the year. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I saw at Research Stadium. Angie's going to give a little bit of perspective from uh, the TV broadcast because I wasn't able to see it. I'm curious what her thoughts were. Um, and I know a lot of Beaver fans watched the game from home and are probably curious what she thought about that as well. We're going to take a look at the game at a glance, give you some stats. Uh, talk about the game flow, you know, where the scoring plays happen, where those turnovers came in. And then we'll go good and bad from the Oregon State perspective. Uh, and then we're going to revisit some of our keys to the game that we provided on Thursday when we had Jordan K on and, and previewed the game. But Angie, before we dive right in, how are you feeling on this Sunday after a, a season opening win from Oregon State? Doesn't 1-0 feel good? Carter, we, we talked right before we jumped on air and you haven't covered a, a season opening win. So we were talking about, you have all that excitement. You, you built up the start of the season, sky's the limit, you're, zero, you're O and O, and you have all this excitement. There's so much buzz on Beaver Blitz and the fan base. And then the past five or seven years, they come out and lay an egg. And that, that momentum, that huge amount of excitement is just gone in, in the poof of a, of a, of a 60-minute game. Last night was so much fun. Um, yes, there's there's things they need to clean up, but how fun is it to wake up? Okay, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna be that person. Okay, can we just keep this super real? Because it's even better when the team down south not only loses but just kind of gets demolished. I mean, I thought they'd lose. I just didn't think they'd be embarrassed on national TV. I wasn't gonna bring it up yet because I thought if we had time at the end, we could go down the list. Yeah, we don't we don't need to where the. Of, of how the rest of the Pac-12 fared. And I think at some point we should touch on just, you know, the way the, the conference represented itself and I think how Oregon State fits in uh, as, as potentially the team that came away with the best win of the weekend. We're going to talk all things Oregon State, Boise State over the next hour or so. I have a feeling this podcast could go over an hour. You know, we normally try to keep it to an hour. I just think the two of us have so many thoughts from opening week. 
Um, I, I, I don't know what to expect from this pod. Uh, again, we haven't done a game recap pod since last fun. December. So uh, we're probably going to ad lib here and there. But uh, after Oregon State's first season opening win since 2015 against Weber State, uh, like I said, the, the two of us have all sorts of all sorts of thoughts uh, at beaverblitz.com. We'll run our, our weekly column behind the paywall. He said, she said, where we're going to give all of our thoughts in, in written form. Angie sent me her her, uh, you know, the the she said, she said element of that. I haven't read it yet, so I haven't heard what Angie's takeaways are. Uh, I have a feeling they're very similar to mine. So let's jump in and let's talk Oregon State, Boise State. I was at Research Stadium along with about 27,000 fans. A, a decent amount of them were wearing blue, but most of them were there for the home team. Uh, you know, it was a beautiful day for a home opener in the Willamette Valley. It's about 70 to 75 at kickoff right in there. Per, you know, blue skies, uh, sunset over the coast range. It was, uh, it was it was a great setting for a college football game, even with the construction uh, closing the west side of Research Stadium, the temporary press boxes that we were sitting in, um, and and have only having fans on one side of the stadium. A really interesting atmosphere. Um, but Angie, I'm curious before we you know dive into your your thoughts on just the broadcast and watching it from home. How, did they did they pan over the stadium at all? How much did they talk about the atmosphere and and what was it like? Um, watching that from the TV perspective. They did. And I, I probably said to Eric and, and the boys a couple of times, just how beautiful it looked on TV um, because pregame right before the kickoff, they kind of panned out and you could see the sunset over Mary's peak. And um, the sky was just this on TV. It was an amazing color of blue with that orange, you know, with beautiful, beautiful, but they did. They actually, they spoke to Scott Barnes briefly after the half and showed that side of the stadium and, mm-hmm. and talked about a little bit what it was going to be. But you know, the, the bulk of it was showing. So from a from a viewing perspective, it looked like a sold out stadium because you didn't see the cameras weren't showing that Boise State sideline. So um, it looked it looked good. I, I thought the students for not for school not yeah. being in session for another couple of weeks. I thought they showed up pretty, pretty strong. And um, no, I, I thought it looked it looked pretty good for TV. And like I said, they did explain a couple of times about, you know, just the, the construction going on and and the whole, you know, whole new side of the stadium. The thing that I wanted to see the most and what I was more, I honestly was more excited about this than the game when I first walked in was the new video board, which is yes. just absolutely gargantuan. I mean, that thing is huge. When you think about the video portion of the old video board, you know, that had the uh, the static um, advertisements on the side and, you know, kind of the LED lit up um, scoreboard you know whatever it wasn't wasn't video board it was just kind of it was manual um when you think about how much of that was video board and you compare it to what they've got now Now. i think this one is three if not four times as large which you know during the game it's it's not incredibly noticeable because they do have the sides for stats and score and time and everything. But when they go to replay and when they throw graphics up there for third downs, first downs, touchdowns, whatnot, it is unbelievable how crisp, how big, how intimidating that thing feels. Um, it, it is an element of Reeser that I think really changes the game. I think that West side when it's done is going to be unbelievable, but having that big of a video board uh, is a game changer for fans. And it experience. closes off. It, it seems to close off that end a little bit, kind mm-hmm. of pull it in and gosh, see Carter, this is before your time, but I still remember the mid nineties and the dot races on the little square stadium. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. It's a, it's a far cry from that. Yeah. Fan experience I think was, was pretty solid. I did hear some horror stories from the concessions line. Okay. Um, okay. I actually, experienced that myself because media members were given for the first time ever this is the first time Oregon State's done this uh we were actually given vouchers that we could go use at the concession stand That's for awesome. food I will say at the other places that I've been that do that we get about $20 to spend Oregon State is giving us $10 which actually isn't enough for a full meal um so I I know that some media members did have to pay out of pocket for their burritos and whatnot um but yeah, I, I went at halftime to go redeem it. And I said, hmm, yeah, I could be here for an hour if I waited in this line. So I bailed, went during a timeout later. 
Um, so that was really the only negative I heard as far as fan experience, which you're going to expect when the concession stands are cut in half. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're still dealing with a, a similar amount of fans in the stadium. It was a sold out crowd. It was very loud. Interesting from from my perspective for the sound to be coming from one side. I kind of described it as as a wall of noise. Uh, you know, whereas before, you know, you've got this bowl atmosphere where it's coming at you from all sides. But uh, I can so from the TV, really I can hear the DJ. And so they, the DJ they were playing was very some good, solid. playing some good music. I could hear that on the TV broadcast. So, and, and that's something that Oregon State introduced a couple of years back to, you know, kind of heighten that fan experience. And I know a lot of people were pretty happy with uh, how that turned out um, for week one this year. Boise State fans showed up. Their band actually traveled. I actually I don't love it when two bands are in the same stadium because oftentimes they're playing over each other and when you've got music going it's hard to coordinate that. Um, but it did it added to the atmosphere. I, I think Boise State fans showed up pretty well and um, you know they weren't overpowering by any means, but there was a cheer after every play regardless of which team which was team? was making the big play. So overall, I feel like this is going to be a pretty good year at Reeser. I, I know it's not ideal because of all of the construction and it's certainly, I think it impacts us more than it impacts a lot of fans. Um, even though I know a lot of fans have been displaced and, you know, are, are moving around and everything. Um, but I felt like the media hospitality was great. Our temporary how, press box. Yeah, setup how was is, the press box? The viewing angles are not great. I'm not going to lie. I sat at about the seven yard line closest to the video board, uh, about 15 rows up. So anything on the opposite half of the field, I found myself defaulting to the video board to see what was going on, but everything that happened in front of us was, you know, at a great view. Um, the box itself has heaters built in, so it won't okay. be too bad uh, come October and November. Um, Wi-Fi was solid except for at the very end. We've got power. We've got everything we need. And okay. um, as far as temporary setups go, I, I was actually, I, I thought it, exceeded my expectations so good i was very happy with how things went at research stadium and on, on outside of uh what you mentioned earlier yes. from the tv broadcast anything stand out to you because this was an espn game you know this was on it the was. flagship um at 7 30 in a prime spot for west coast viewers um but i feel like espn maybe had sent and put in the effort of kind of their jv yeah, you know, marketing yeah, and, and, and crew. Yeah, and I and I think that was the case. And I, when I was putting together on Tuesday, I was putting together the how to watch feature, and I saw that they were sending Beth Moens as the the play by play. And and you know, hey, I am all for females in this business. I think it's amazing. But I've listened to some of Beth's games before, and I have not been a huge fan. I, you know what? She, I actually have to give her a shout out because it was way better than I thought. She did a great job. Nothing. I, I mean, maybe that was just because Oregon State was playing well and it was a kind of exciting game, but I thought she did a really good job. I thought the crew did a good job. Um, so while I know Beaver fans were a little taken aback that maybe we got the, the second tier crew, um, I thought they did a good, a solid job. And I, I was I'm not disappointed with that. Camera angles, okay. I, I don't know. They didn't seem to have a ton of cameras. You know, we didn't have the over the field camera and all kind of the fancy stuff, but yeah. Um, I will, I will r real quick mention, I believe they had somewhere in the realm of nine to 10 cameras there okay. because, um, and, and you probably missed this in, in that you weren't there and, and some insight for uh, viewers at home who didn't go to Reeser on the video board. They have so much space now that they actually have all of the different angles available oh, sweet. at the same time. Now, you know, they'll go full screen and, yeah. and it kind of mirrors what the, replay crew is is looking at at that time but there are times they, during the replay where they have all of the different camera views at the same time which i and, thought was kind of a cool feature and to, we saw to that, use on, that new scoreboard yeah and on tv so there was a play probably down in front of you carter where um austin alex austin was called for a late hit yeah and they were once you saw those on the you know you could see that he was kind of being pushed into to the player um and then also on on Trello when he stepped out of bounds we saw plenty of camera camera angles on that so no, I, I thought the broadcast was great. Um, I thought I thought the stadium looked good on TV. And um, yeah, no complaints for me. We love to hear that because we know in the past ESPN has uh, kind of mailed it in as, as far as those yeah. Pac-12 late night games go. Uh, the production quality has not been 
the best. So it's good to hear that they had uh, an adequate number of cameras, that the broadcast crew exceeded expectations. Uh, The overall quality was solid. And I, I I think we'll see more of that from ESPN this year. I know John Canzano reported that they were going to emphasize that and they had stated that they fixed those problems. Their their team knowledge maybe wasn't as great. I mean, they could have talked to you Carter beforehand because it it was kind of funny. I laughed a couple of times right at the very beginning when they started talking about chance Nolan being, you know, a a deep ball passer. And I was like, (laughs) Hmm, I mean, he's gotten better, obviously, yeah. and we'll talk about that. But it was it was just kind of funny. Some of their some well, of their hot takes. You know where that came from? That probably came from their uh, their meeting with the coaching yeah. staff and and key On players Friday. beforehand. They were Oregon State was probably trying to push that narrative, and we're going to talk about that just in in a minute here. That narrative actually was accurate on Saturday. Yeah. I, I think yeah. Chance Nolan really stood out with his deep ball. Um, so we've spent a quarter of the podcast already just talking about kind of the, the atmosphere, and that's just a you know a first game of the season thing. We're not going to spend 15 minutes talking about you know what Research Stadium was like, um, but I think it's about time we we really jump into this game here. So I took a bunch of notes, and and Andrew's going to add some. Uh, analysis and thoughts as well along the way, but uh, just kind of a, a quick glance at this game, how it played out. Oregon I just want to. I want to say. Oh, go quickly, ahead. I'm just saying. If if you guys notice that I keep bugging, I have a contact that's bugging me right now, so I'm I'm not having a seizure. I'm just trying to focus on stuff. Anyway, go for it, Carter. All right. Well, I didn't want everybody, all our view, if everybody on YouTube watching this, saying, "What is Machado doing?" And everyone on the audio side right right now. Yeah, is, they're like, uh, what? Is like, what is she talking about? Um, but no, Oregon State won 34 to 17, doubled up Boise State in a handful of categories, actually. But the one that matters the most, of course, is the score. And and the Beavers get that 17 point win, which correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when we went on the record with our staff picks, did you have 34 to 17? I think I had 31 to 14. Okay. So I think, but close. Close enough. Yes. Um, I was a touchdown off in both directions. So uh, yeah, you'll see that reflected on, in our standings on Friday. When I don't know, Carter. Weeks, but... my, my 10 and one, it could still hold true. You just, just wait and see. We'll see. Uh, in the yardage category, Oregon State racked up 470 yards of total offense while it held Boise State to just 311. So a pretty big discrepancy there. Oregon State with about 160 more yards than the Broncos. Well, and 74 of those came in that one giant run. So yeah, that's it, it kind of pads their stats a little bit, which also makes this next category a little deceiving. Oregon yeah. State outrushed Boise State 178 to 126. And when you take away that big 72, 74 yard rush by Taylor Green, uh, Boise State had 50 yards it's, on the yeah, ground yeah, outside of yeah. that. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to call it a fluke play because it happened no. and big plays do happen. Uh, but if you take that out, Oregon State was very very solid in run defense through the air Oregon State just missed the 300 yard threshold uh, it picked up 292 yards through the air to Boise State's 185 so again Oregon State just offensively and defensively I, I think thoroughly outplaying Boise State and and that's reflected there in those numbers the turnover category now this was the big one so yeah. the first half alone just featured a, an absurd amount of turnovers uh, but overall, there were eight combined turnovers in this game, which it's week one. It's going to happen. There's going to be some mm-hmm. sloppy play. But Oregon State forces five turnovers. Three of those were interceptions. Two were fumbles. And then Boise State took the ball away three times, two of those on the interceptions and one of those being a fumble. So uh, both defenses really getting after it and and forcing takeaways. As far as getting into the backfield, Oregon State, I thought, you know, Andrew, this was one of our yeah. uh, one of the things we were going to be watching for. Could Oregon State take a leap forward in, in this category? Eight tackles for loss for the Beavers. Two of those were sacks. I think those are two pretty good numbers for week one. Uh, but then protection wise, Oregon State's offensive line did a pretty good job limiting Boise State to five tackles for loss and no sacks. So yeah, Chance Nolan had all, all kind of time to work with uh, out of all of those numbers that I just threw out there. Angie, I know that's a lot of numbers. I'm a big stats guy. Anything really catch your eye that you want to kind of touch on before we before we move on here? Well, I, I think turnovers. I think you have to look at that because yeah. um, when you look at overall in a season, that the tack or the turnover margin is is really kind of the biggest indicator of of 
you know, how successful a team is going to be. So Oregon State's plus two. Um, and, and then, you know, you kind of kick yourself at how, I mean, that chance Nolan passed that he tried to throw out of bounds. I mean, a couple, mm-hmm. you know, what it was what it was. But I we haven't seen Oregon State be that aggressive in a long time. And then, again, tackles for loss, I think, is huge. Um, I, I mentioned that in um, our pregame on Thursday when we were, we were talking about it, just how I wanted to see some pass, pass rush and, and pressure the quarterback. And I think it is even it was even more important when they made that flip to um, green. And I think um, just having a new quarterback in there, pressuring him is, was even more important. Um, yes. And a redshirt freshman too. Who, a redshirt freshman. You no, know, hadn't played very much in, throughout his young career. And you could tell, I mean, that kid's, he's going to be good. He He's yeah. not, if he was a better passer, he probably would have been a high four star and probably recruited by everybody in the country. So um, super talented. I saw, I didn't realize he was from Louisville, Texas. So he was a former teammate of Damian Martinez. Um, that Can you imagine that? backfield that dang um that is a lot of rushing ability that is a lot i mean i i was watching pac-12 their um post game and nigel burton laughed at that 74 yard run that taylor green had he he laughed he goes wow i think he just ran 74 yards in five strides the kid was moving so um it's quick breakdown a breakdown for oregon state but um yeah i think i think those two stats stand out the most to me I completely agree. So this next section here, and again, we're going to follow it kind of a same, uh, kind of a similar format here as we do these game recaps throughout the season. Uh, So the next thing that we're going to jump in here to is just kind of the game flow. So uh, we're going to hit on some of the key plays. We're going to go chronologically here. uh, And we're going to start with the first drive of the game, which I thought set the tone and was a very good sign for this Oregon State defense because Boise State received the opening kickoff. Oregon State won the toss and deferred. The Broncos take the field and Oregon State forces a three and out right away. And I just said, that's exactly what you want to see from a defense that you're expecting to take a step forward. Get them some early confidence. You know, make Boise State give up the ball after starting with it. Um, And I, it eventually was a sign of things to come, but I thought that was a great sign uh, as I'm sure you did as well. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider... Third downs were Oregon State's Achilles heel for the yeah. past four or five years. So to see that, um, and I, I see one of our comments here, and it, it kind of made me chuckle because that was me, um, that after seeing the defense in that first quarter, I was never stressed or worried the rest of the night. I mean, that that set the tone. I think that that first three and out, it set the tone for the rest of the game. And um, we knew the defense. I think I texted you, Carter, during that first quarter and said, I'm glad the defense is playing this well and what we said all fall camp was coming to fruition. Yeah. In fact, somebody tweeted at us and said, Hey, uh, you guys were right. You know, you yeah. were telling us that Trent Bray's defense was, uh, was revitalized and had a lot of energy and they were flying around. And yeah, we, it turns out we know a thing or two from watching practice. Um, but defensively Oregon state got off to that strong start forced a couple of turnovers, which we're going to talk about here in just a second. But I thought it was the offense that, um, really came to play in the final, what, five minutes or so of the first quarter. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier on the deep ball, and, and we talked about how that was something that in the past hadn't really been part of Chance Nolan's game. But on Saturday, it, it absolutely was. And, and Oregon State really opened things up. A lot of that was because Boise State was stacking the box and trying to take away the run, which to a pretty solid extent it did but that opens up a lot of plays downfield. And so it starts off with Chance Nolan finding Treshawn Harrison for a deep ball that would have been about a 50-yard touchdown that uh, unfortunately went through hands. It was there. And Carter, again, I think I text you. I mean, we we text throughout the whole game. That was our other big takeaway from fall camp was the inconsistency in our question marks at wide receiver. And we saw that rear its head again too. So, um, but that was just, you know, a, a dagger because that one a dime i mean nolan started off that first half just throwing dimes um beautiful so um that was tough to see but um i i think teams now that seeing some of those passes that he did complete are going to have to maybe back off stacking the box because oregon state is going to be more dimensional than just running the ball that was something that we saw throughout camp too was nolan would put the ball on a, oh, we lost, uh, we lost Andrew. I'm here. We'll get her back in just a second. But um, 
one thing that we saw throughout camp was that Nolan would put the ball on the money and then his receiver, whoever it was at the time, uh, would drop it from time to time. And so we were hoping that that wouldn't uh, necessarily carry over into the season. And unfortunately, oh, Angie's back. Um, unfortunately, we did see that come to fruition on, on Oregon State's first real scoring opportunity. But as Angie alluded to, Nolan did connect on a couple of those passes uh, just a few minutes later. He hits Luke Musgrave for 27 yards. A great catch by Musgrave, mind you. Yes. Uh, and then on the ensuing drive, a 47-yard touchdown pass to Tyjon Lindsay, who got behind the defense, uh, made a good play to get into the end zone there as well. So two big chunk plays that both resulted in touchdowns, um, passes that were quite a ways downfield. You know, I, I think even the one to Lindsay was at least 25, yes. uh, if, if not more, through the air. So both of those were categorized as long passes. Uh, Nolan's only incompletion on passes 20 yards downfield or more was that drop uh, earlier on, which, again, would have been a 50-yard touchdown or so. But, um, no, those two big touchdown plays, again, I, I just think that unlocked part of the offense that we haven't seen from the Beavers in quite some time. Yeah, because I think last year they were a little more one-dimensional with the run game with BJ, and you rode that just because that was – such easy easy gain but um we know Oregon State needs to be more multi-dimensional than that and um as those receivers get better that's how the beaver season's gonna go because I, I there's still talent in that wide receiver room and we'll talk about that um but again okay last the end of last season I was really hot on Anthony Gould and then second half he had another big touchdown so um I thought I thought he played well um as well Anthony Gould was, uh, you know, he, he was out there making, a, he had a couple of plays. I, I want to say he racked up. I've got the stats here. I can pull it up. But I, I think he had about 50 yards through the air. Yeah. So um, good to see him get involved because, of course, we were both kind of clamoring last year for him to get used more. Um, he, we're, we're talking about how Oregon State was kind of one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. In, in that the running game wasn't really a factor. Gould obviously will I think he will get involved in that run game and, and actually was a little bit. I think he took a carry, but uh, only but one touchdown on the ground outside of Jack Coletto, which we're going to get to in a minute. Yeah. But from the running back room, three guys took carries. It was Deshaun Fenwick, Trey Lowe, and Damian Martinez. Martinez had uh, 10 carries for the team lead to Fenwick's nine. Uh, he had one more yard on the ground. He had 40 yards to Fenwick's 39. But Fenwick did find the end zone. So he had yeah. the, the lone touchdown from a, a true running back. Uh, it was a 12-yard carry that kind of went off to the right side, off tackle, and, and you know he found a little gap through the defense and uh, got into the corner of the end zone. That was Oregon State's third touchdown in the first half. Everett Hayes converted a 20-yard field goal to give Oregon State 24 points in the first half. Uh, and then the defense. I, the defense was the story of well of the game, but of that first half, I yeah. we can talk about the twenty four points and and but think about the cut. I mean, there was, was there two turnovers in the first half. No, there's more than that. Oregon State forced four turnovers no, they, in the first or, half. Oregon State forced four. Yeah. So, but every time, I mean, it was Oregon State might or I, I know we had Oregon State turn the ball over and then the Oregon State defense would get it right back or right. or down at the goal line. Um, we had the you know. Boise State ready to to punch it in and, and a turnover there. So um, the defense was the story of that half, I, first half I think completely. They they shut them down to the point point that they benched a three year starter at quarterback. I mean, when do you see that happen? Game one where they just flat out just benched him partway through the first half because he was yeah. so inefficient. Those four turnovers. So two of them were fumbles. Two of them were interceptions. One fumble was Jaden Grant knocked the ball loose and Alex Austin and uh, Austin was credited for the recovery, but I believe um, Chatfield was there as well. Chatfield, Drew Chatfield. Yeah. Uh, so I think the two of them hoisted the chainsaw. I was going to say, there's a picture after. of Chatfield with yeah. it too. So, And I was like, where did that come from? But I think that was that play. Uh, the other forced fumble was a strip sack by Riley Sharp, which I thought was just, not only was it the play that benched Hank Bachmeyer, but I think it was one of those plays where we said, okay, that's a good sign that this defense is going to get the pocket pressure it needs to make plays on the quarterback because in the past, Oregon State struggled with pass rush, wasn't getting the quarterback, wasn't recording sacks. And when you not only record a sack, but strip the ball at the same time, that's one of the most impactful plays a defense can possibly make. And you saw that in week one with Riley Sharp. 
Um, and I, I think Oregon State's, you know, edge rushers were, were solid all game long. The two interceptions in the first half, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong here because I i can't remember which was first and which was second half, but I believe one was from Rajon Wright and the other was from Jaden Grant. But yes. I know Alex Austin had a pick as well, so I can't remember so who Rajon had the second half and Jaden Grant was first half, okay, and then Alex Austin had one in the second half. With all of those turnovers and, and just the strong play, a couple of three and outs, Oregon State shut Boise State out in the first half, took a 24-0 lead into the locker room uh, as Jonah Dalmas missed a field goal at the buzzer for the Broncos. So 24-0 at the half. I think Oregon State fans are like over the moon. I'm sitting there in the press box thinking, we did not even remotely see this coming. <laughs> I thought Oregon State was going to score 27 in the whole game. I had Boise State scoring 24 in the whole game, uh, and it's 24 nothing at half. Not at all how I expected it to go, but I think at that point we were like, okay, this is the Oregon State team that we thought we could see, but we didn't expect to see. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And then, the, you know, the, I, I sat there that first half, and I think – it was just kind of Eric and I were talking about it and just, and how impressive it was. I think I said this earlier that this team, the defense still contribute, continue to play so strong, even with a, a quarterback they had no film on and had not prepared for totally yeah. different, a different quarterback than a, than a Hank Bachmeyer. So um, really impressive. Yep. There were, there were some warts and there were some sloppy plays that third quarter. Um, I, you can't fault that though, because I really think Oregon state was just trying to establish a run game at that point and, and run the clock. Um, and they struggled some, but, um, that, that pass by Dunmire or Dunmore. Damn. So I, I see but somebody, yeah, somebody, somebody here says that maybe, well, he's Dunsmore put himself in the convo to be QB two. I don't think he did that, but that was a fun play. I, yeah, I, I texted I, you that one too. I was like, was that John Dunmore? I've got the trick play in our rundown here in, in, in a few minutes when we talk about the good and the bad, um, but let's talk about it now. I mean, John Dunmore on a kind of a, a reverse to a double pass. Yeah. Uh, you know, a receiver catches the ball and then he throws it across the field. A pretty good throw to put it right on the money to Trey Lowe, who was streaking down the sideline. 41 yards, could have been a touchdown. Uh, they ruled that he stepped out at the two. And unfortunately, a couple of penalties later, Oregon State settling for three points. Yeah. But going back to the second half here as we yeah, yeah, go sorry. chronologically uh chance nolan opened the second half with an interception he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds didn't put enough on it uh and it, it fell into the hands of i, I believe jl skinner uh, that star safety for boise state it's a play that chance nolan afterwards in the postgame press conference said you know it's it's just a, a brutal mistake that i can't have there he said, you know, it's going to be a point of emphasis moving forward. He said, mm -hmm. that's, that's not going to happen again. You know, if I'm, yeah. if I'm going to commit to throwing the ball away, I'm going to chuck that thing in the stands. So uh, I, I think if we're talking about fluky plays, I think that was just a fluky turnover that you're not going to see again yeah. um, there. I, I have my concerns about Nolan and, you know, his fumbles and whatnot, but um, that interception was not something that I'm particularly concerned about moving forward. Boise state capitalized on it got its first points of the game on that drive with a 41 yard field goal. Um, and, and from that point forward, I, I think you kind of saw the momentum shift a little bit. Yeah. Oregon state's offense sputtered a bit and that's when Taylor green started to take over for Boise state. He came over, he came into the game in the second quarter, uh, but he didn't really put his mark on the game until the third when he broke free for a 74 yard rushing touchdown, it just showed off elite speed. Um, nobody was going to catch him. Jaden yeah. Grant had a shot if he could beat him to a spot, uh, but Green streaking down that sideline, it was it was too tough to to defend that. Uh, and then on the next drive, he carries one in from four yards, and just like that, Boise State's back within two scores. Yeah. At uh, I believe at that point, was it twenty? It was twenty seven to 17, 27, I Yeah, I think it was a ten point game. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I, I think Oregon State fans are feeling a little jittery, but. Oregon State had done so much in the first half that it still had a cushion to where Boise State's playing out of its mind for, you know, about 15 minutes. Yeah. But it's still two possessions shy of of even tying the game. Yeah. And then in the fourth quarter, Oregon State, to its credit, kind of recovered that momentum, 
You saw Jack Coletto come into the game on the offensive side, as he did quite a few times, yeah. lined up at the fullback spot uh, and broke free for a 41-yard touchdown with about 10 and a half minutes left. That put the game out of reach. Yeah. At that point, it's a 17-point game. Nobody scored the rest of the way uh, during that final 10-minute stretch and, and Oregon State. Uh, I think I think it's fair to say Oregon State cruised to a win yeah. from, from that point forward. There was, Carter, there was really you, no question. I mean, did you ever feel that the game was in doubt? Did you, I mean, did you start no. to want, yeah, no, it never no, had that feeling of Oregon State being in trouble. Even when Boise State started scoring and, and scored, I mean, I, I think all 17 of those points were unanswered. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even really concerned that they were going to take it far enough to, to tie or take the lead. I just felt like Oregon State had done so much and, and that it would take such a dramatic collapse yeah. for Oregon State to give that lead up. Um, I, I just didn't, I didn't see that happening. Yeah. So, and the way the defense was playing, I didn't see it yeah. happening. So that's kind of how that one played out uh, just from a, a big play, you know, momentum changing perspective. That's, that's the game flow for you. We're going to come back here in just a minute and, and talk about what we thought went well for Oregon State, what we thought they need to improve upon this week before they get ready for Fresno state. And then we're going to revisit some of our keys to the game and see how Oregon state did there. But Angie, I want to give you a chance here and I will admit, I didn't consult with you before the podcast is the 75% off deal still in action at Beaver. It is. It is. All right, so I want we, you to promote that because this, now is you. seriously the time to jump on board with Oregon state playing this well, with so much anticipation going into, into week two. Now's the time to take advantage of that. Deal. Yes. So this deal will not come again until after the season. So you want to, or the end of the season, probably Cyber Monday is the typical time that we will run this promotion again or something similar. 75% off an annual subscription to Beaver Blitz. It We're taping this Sunday night at five. This is um, what, September 4th. This promotion runs until midnight tomorrow, Monday, Labor Day weekend or Labor Day. Um, 75% off works out to $26.85 for the year. 75% off the annual price less than seven cents a day. It's so worth it. You are not going to want to miss anything. Um, The season has the markings that it could be a lot of fun, um, a very special season, and you don't want to miss it. So this is the time to save some money. Jump on board. You got Carter, you have me, Raju, Peter, and the entire staff of 24-7 writers and recruiting analysts. Um, There is no better place uh, to be for Oregon State knowledge and scoop than BeaverBlitz.com. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Five turnovers from the Oregon State defense highlights the good. I, I don't think there was anything that stood out more than the takeaways and, and just the sheer dominance that we saw from Oregon State's revitalized, re-energized defense. A lot of that came from the secondary that, Angie, you and I have been hyping up for, I don't know, what, nine months at this point because of all of the experience and talent that it brings back. I think we really saw that come to fruition in a game where Boise State oftentimes was just chucking the ball downfield and, and hoping to make something happen, Oregon State said, you can't do that against us. We we just have too many good playmakers back there that you have to scheme up a pretty good passing game and you have to have some real talent at quarterback and receiver to move the ball against us through the air. Yeah, I, I think that definitely was the biggest takeaway, but I think the second maybe 1B for me was um, the play of the, the front seven. Yeah. And to see that pocket collapse, Boise State doesn't have a bad offensive line. And Oregon State manhandled them. Um, that pocket collapsed time and time again. We saw pressure. We saw the eight tackles for loss. Um, I have been hypercritical of Oregon State's defensive front. And I think they really, really showed improvement last night. And I think we saw that kind of come to fruition in the run game as well, where yeah. I mentioned, you know, Taylor Green ran for 102 yards and was far and away the leading rusher in this game, but you take away his runs, you know, let's, let's just hypothesize here. If Hank Bachmeyer stays in the game, 
I mean, Boise State probably wouldn't crack 100 yards no. rushing for the game. And obviously, you know, that's all hypothetical. These plays did happen. And so we have to talk about them. Um, Oregon State giving up a 74-yard touchdown to yeah. a quarterback with his legs is a problem. I, I don't care how fast the quarterback is. I don't care if you had great coverage downfield and it was a broken play and he was trying to make something out of it. It's a play that happened and it's one that, you know, Trent Bray is going to look at and say, okay, how we, how can we prevent that from happening again? Cause everything went perfectly until Taylor green uh, scrambled out of the pocket there. The next leading rusher for Boise state had 16 yards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they completely shut down the run game completely. And- like you said, if Hank Bachmeyer was in at quarterback, I mean, so without that 74 yard run, what we, I think it was 52 yards. They had total rushing. Mm-hmm. It might've been 25. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Oregon state's run defense, stellar pass defense. Like I said, the five takeaways four of those or two of those or three of those, I'm sorry, were interceptions. Yeah. I Rajon Wright, I thought played out of his, out of his mind too. I, I know Alex Austin was named, um, defensive player of the game from coach Smith. He released that just right before we jumped on. But um, I think Rajon actually played pretty well too. One more note from the run defense that we, I mean, we cannot let this go under the radar. George Halani, who is Boise state's running back, you know, projected all mountain West guy, somebody who everybody affiliated with that program is, is super high on, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody who was hurt last year, but came back and was very productive when he was healthy at the end of the year. He carried the ball for 13 yards on 13. what I, what yeah. I believe was yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry. He took the, he carried the ball 13 times okay. for nine yards. So okay. not even a yard per carry for George Holani, which was, it's, I mean, I, ex- I expected him to have a pretty solid game. You know, I figured Oregon State's run defense was going to look better, but never in a million years would I have guessed that George Halani would carry the ball 13 times for nine, nine total yards. yards. I mean, he's he's a beast, too. I mean, he's a great running back. And so, so I, I think, you know, as we said, that's a testament to Oregon State's front seven, which in the passing game got a, a decent amount of pressure as well. Mm-hmm. Two sacks, two quarterback hurries. And then those eight total tackles for loss. Um, obviously, that's, you know, you do eight minus the two sacks and you got six tackles for loss. So um, six times Boise State carried the ball uh, and and was stopped behind the line of scrimmage. So just, I, I mean, I, I can't say enough about Oregon State's defense and, and what yeah. it did against Boise State. And, and one thing that I asked Trent Bray about before the game on Wednesday, I said... You know, I, I know you don't set thresholds for, oh, we want X amount of takeaways or we only want to give up X amount of yards. But what are some areas that you look for as far as determining we had a successful game? Yeah, yeah. And he said third downs and red zone. Well, what did Oregon State do on third downs and red and in the red zone? Boise State was four of 13 on third down. Third down. Which was, I mean, I can't do the math that quick off the top of my head, but I, I know that that's less than 33% of the time yeah, Boise yeah. State's converting. Oregon State allowed third down conversions on 50% of those situations last yeah, year. So that's yeah. immediate improvement there. Yeah, yeah. And Boise State went just one of four in the red zone. Mm-hmm. So three times they didn't even come away with points when they got inside the 20 yeah. yard line, which is, I mean, that efficiency from Oregon State's defense is unbelievable. One and, for four in the red zone, you don't see that. No, and and one hundred percent turnaround from a year or two ago. Oh yeah, and just and night just and day. night. I mean, completely night and day. It's amazing what a coaching change can do, and the players just seem so happy and so. Um, I mean, Coletto in post game talked yeah. about just how it has just made things easier, and they play. I mean, there was some swagger back on that defense, and uh, we haven't seen that in Corvallis in a long time. Coletto himself said it was night and day from last yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the good. So we talked about everything that yep. we liked from the defense. Let's talk about the offense. So okay. we've already talked a, a bunch about Chance Nolan and how he yeah. unlocked the deep ball. But I think outside of those two uh, interceptions and and mm-hmm. one of them I, I think was fluky again. And the other one, honestly, could have been caught by Tyjon Lindsay kind of, you know, yeah. kind of bobbled it. Bobbled I think, it. Yeah. I think it was an unlucky interception. One that yes. more often than not is probably going to either be caught or fall to the ground. 
So I think two turnovers that you look at and you say, okay, those are, you know, you're probably not going to see a ton of those. I think all in all, it was one of Nolan's better games. And, and certainly that first quarter where he started eight of nine, uh, he started the game nine of 10, but in the first yeah. quarter, he went eight of nine, 149 yards and two touchdowns. That's the best quarter from Chance Nolan, hands down. Oh. I, don't, I don't even think there's one that you can look to that's comparable. No, I, I think when I look at Chance Nolan's best games, I think USC from last yeah, year has to be right up there. But I do. I think the first half, especially, I thought he was efficient. I thought he made good decisions. Um, I thought the third quarter, he kind of tried to maybe run a little bit more. But again, the mm-hmm. bees were trying to um, establish a run. I think some of those were design plays. Some of them, I think he just tried. But um, And no, he was I, efficient on the ground. He, he was carried efficient. the ball four times for 28 yards. That's yeah. an average of seven per carry, which outside of Coletto was the best of any best Oregon of State rusher. So, no, I, I do. I think it ranks right up there. Maybe his second best game ever as a Beaver. Luke Musgrave also had a pretty good game from the offensive side. I, I think really carried over his momentum yes. from the final two games of last year against Oregon. He showed us what we have expected to see from Musgrave over the last couple of years, followed that up with a few catches in the LA bowl. Uh, and, th- and then this week leads Oregon state with six receptions. Next highest total on the team was three Yeah, catches balls for 89 yards. And he had that touchdown, which was the first of Oregon state season. It took Luke Musgrave three seasons to record an offensive touchdown that came against Oregon last year took him all of about 10 minutes, ten minutes. this yeah. year to record yeah. one no I mean his he has definitely worked on his hands that was his biggest knock I think you know the first couple seasons was he'd get targeted but he wouldn't be able to hang on to the ball so to see that growth in his game it's huge I, I looked at him to be a big leader this year he he did have in that uh, that third quarter a couple like back to back bad you know he got a penalty yeah. two penalties i guess he did have um, he had two penalties on a row after oregon state got the ball down to the two two yard line it was when they yeah the the tray low they called it back out of bounds at the two um and then oregon state walked away with that whole thing with no points that three was points. or and three points yeah i, I believe yeah, that you're a, right you're right they kicked goal the goal but um no it was that aside i thought he had a, a solid game and and what we're seeing from the receivers, Beavers are going to need for him to really kind of be that. And, and we've talked about it year in and year out that we, we see him and maybe, you know, like that, like a big bodied Stanford tight end mm-hmm. receiver type. And, and with Oregon State, smaller, quick receivers, they're going to need a guy like him to really step up and be that kind of go to big bodied receiver that can, you know, break through the press coverage and, and get open and make those tough catches. That's exactly what he looked like, too. I mean, a lot of those catches came over the middle of the field where he's matched up against linebackers and safeties who are going to be bigger than corners more often than not. Uh, and if those guys can't stop him, yeah, really, I mean, I, gonna, no, nobody nobody's going to stop him. I mean, that's just it. He's faster than, than a lot of them. Yeah, He's bigger than a safety. So, I mean, it's, it just creates such mismatches. And if so if he's able to catch the ball, especially if you can hit him in stride when he has full momentum – be nearly unstoppable this is what we've been looking for from luke musgrave since he came here as a true freshman um i think just kind of puts a bow on on all of the good stuff we saw from oregon state of course here we are three quarters of the way into the show and and we haven't really talked about the concerns this is week one there's a lot to clean up there always is you've got turnovers you got the penalties which we just talked about with with musgrave having a couple There was a lot in this game that was concerning. Yes. I think the fact that Oregon State still won by 17, had a 24-0 lead, and is going to come away from this game saying, we have all sorts of stuff to clean up, says a lot about Oregon State's progress, how much it has improved, uh, and and the fact that you know the Beavers are, are winning comfortably when they have 10 penalties for 100 yards. And, and against a quality the opponent. Three times against, like you said, yeah a team that is picked to win its division in the mountain West. It just says so much about where yeah, this I mean, program is. I, I, if this, if this game had happened against Idaho or Portland state, I might be feeling a little different mm-hmm. um, because Oregon State's expected to roll big. This is against a very quality opponent. That was, it was a 50, 50 toss up really by odds makers in, in Vegas. So um, this is a, yes, there's stuff to clean up, but, I'd much rather come out of this game with a nice big win. I mean, that game was never in doubt. 
but very obvious things that they can work on and clean up. Because I, I think it was Coach Erickson that always said the biggest improvement for any team comes between week one and week two. So that's this is going to be because those are tangible things. They've just spent four weeks practicing against each other. And no matter your coaches can tell you time and time again, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that until you actually go up against an opponent and really see where those deficiency lie, deficiencies lie. It, it This now just gives the coaching staff all the all the power again to be like, OK, this is how we're going to help you. And this is what we need to do. Re- recraft a couple things. Um, now, Fresno, I mean, if we were playing Montana State, it might be a different different ball of wax. But now they have to go on the road to play at Fresno, which is not going to be an easy task. But I'm anxious to see where this team is on Saturday night in Fresno and if they can clean up some of the penalties, if they can clean up, um, you know, some of the the ball catching, um, you know, Trayshawn and, and some of the drops that they had and um, and try to contain um, a little bit better. But I, I really can't complain too much about the defense. I thought the defense, except for that one big run. But it, it's funny, if you watch the post game um, with Washington State, it was, you know, they barely squeaked by Idaho. And the, the media is all nitpicking about things. And it reminded me a little bit of Allen Iverson's we're talking about practice, that whole, because the coach, Coach Dickert's like, you guys, it's week one and we won. You know, we're talking about a win here. So um, at that time, like I said, I, I think it might be a little premature to get too um, nitpicky on all the bad. But I think it's definitely, um, if they're still doing the same things week three, four, then we might talk, but. Like I said, I think you take this, you go back to work and have tangible things to work on, and let's see what happens next week. Oregon State's been such a disciplined team since Jonathan Smith took over that I don't think you're going to see 10 penalties in very many games this year. It was really lopsided, though. So I, at one point in the ESPN broadcast, they said that Boise State had zero um, penalties. So I tweeted that out, and then Kerry Eggers corrected me and said Boise had one. But so one versus 10. I mean, again, Boise State's not perfect. I, it was, it was interesting. Oregon State was also offensively four of 13 on third down, which we just mentioned if, if Oregon State's defense did such a good job holding Boise State to four of 13 on third down, you have to look at that same number for the Beavers offense and say, okay, well, they need to become more efficient on third down. Um, You know, maybe, maybe that's, getting ahead of the chains and setting yourself up with third and ones, third and twos. Um, maybe that's, you know, it, shoring up the passing game on third and long. There's multiple ways you can approach improvement there. I think it's the um, lack of the run game. I think that's the biggest I, thing. I think that is what, what costs them because more often than not, they were finding themselves in third and medium, third and long, which is obviously always going to be more difficult uh, to, to convert upon. Another thing that we want to see, is Oregon State take a step forward in, in containing mobile quarterbacks. Yes. And I think the caveat there is obviously Taylor Green had that big play. He scored twice. Uh, he was Boise State's leading rusher. He was a leading rusher in the game by a, a factor of two in, in the rushing category. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember Oregon State game plan for Hank Bachmeyer, who's yeah. not a dual threat guy. You know, he's mobile enough that he's going to avoid sacks all the time, but He's not Taylor Green. He's not probably the fastest quarterback Oregon State's going to see this year. And so I think the fact that, you know, Green only had one big play and it's not like he was, it's not like he did enough to pull Boise State all the way back. I think the fact that it was a quarterback Oregon State hadn't prepared for all in all, I don't know if you can blame Oregon State and for honestly for they, all of that. They come out at half after half. I mean, it's 24-0. They wanted to try to establish a run. It yeah. kind of went a little sideways there for a quarter, but they were able to to regroup and, and come back. And, you know, that last touchdown by Jack Coletto was the nail in the coffin. So Eric yeah. F. makes a good point. Bray did a good job making adjustments to contain Green in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah that long run came in the third, and obviously his, his second touchdown was only a four-yarder, which, I mean, I could probably run a four-yard touchdown if I had good enough blocking. So, um, yeah, I, I think Green was limited to the one big play, and really outside of that, he looked like a solid game manager. He yeah. led a couple of good drives, and obviously all of Boise State's points came with him under center. Um but Oregon State 
all in all did a good enough job to respond to the quarterback change that, you know, Boise state was never really able to make it. You know, it, it, it was never in question. No, no. And even when they got within 10, I mean, there were times, you know, a couple years ago that I think all Beaver nation would have been gnawing, chewing fingernails and thinking, Oh no, here we go. And it just didn't have that feel. It had that feel of, okay, they'll figure it out. And, and the defense held, held tough and offense was able to, to score. But, um, how exciting again that we're one and zero. Beavers are one and zero right now, heading into week two. And a lot of that comes from the fact that Oregon State delivered on our keys to the game, which we yes. outlined on Thursday. So, my offensive key, and Angie agreed with me, although she kind of went a, a, an opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Um, my my offensive key to the game was to move the ball through the air because yeah. I figured Boise State was going to try to limit the run and you know Boise State has such a good secondary that in order to maintain balance the Beavers were going to be able to move the ball through the air and they did that Oregon State passed for 292 yards got the two touchdowns through through the air I don't think you could really ask for more from Oregon State against a secondary as good as Boise State's and see my my key to the game was to to ground and pound with that secondary and and we didn't see as much of that but but you don't. They didn't need to because they didn't need to. If, if they were going to take away the run to the extent that they did, yeah. the passing oh. game was going to be there. And so yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's why our keys kind of went hand in hand because we yeah. set it for the same reason. I said Oregon State's got to move the ball through the air because it needs to maintain balance. You said, well, they got to be able to take advantage of the fact that Boise State's got this good secondary yeah. and, and run the ball so that they have to respect that. Yeah. Oregon State, by and large, did a pretty good job maintaining balance. I know it wants to get more production from the run game, but it's still, I, in fact, I, I should have the number up here. Yeah, it still managed 178 yards yeah. against a defense that, even when it did find success through the air, it was still loading the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just it. And, and you know, we got to remember that Oregon State lost B.J. Baylor, who was Pac-12 yeah. leading rusher last year. So it's not going to be maybe overnight that uh, – Damian Martinez and and Deshaun Fenwick and Trey Lowe can can replicate that. But yeah, Boise State was loading the box that whole first half. And and even daring them to run and into the third quarter. Yeah. I mean defensively, we were looking for Oregon State to establish a presence in the backfield. That was our key. That was something that, you know, I I think if Oregon State's defense was going to show improvement right out of the gate, we said it's going to show up here. It's going to show up in the pass rush. It's going to show up in the running game. And sure enough, Oregon State gets into the backfield eight times, eight tackles for loss. Two of those were sacks, uh, two more quarterback hurries, yeah. a strip sack from Riley Sharp. You can't ask for much more against a Boise State team that returned a lot of talent on its offensive line that had a mobile quarterback for three quarters of the, of the game. And yeah. before that, had a quarterback that had all sorts of experience under his belt. Uh, the fact that Oregon State was able to do what it did defensively up front Man, I, I just yeah. think that is that is exactly what you want to see and what you expect from a Trent Bray led defense. And that that is it, it still should give Beaver Nation that hope of the sky's the limit for this year. If the defensive front can play with that much aggression against a, a good good opponent, not somebody that is expected, um, wow. And and then just consider that week in, week out improvement that the coaches talk about that they want to see, just get a little bit better every single week. Um yeah, this this defense could really be special. We have just a couple of minutes okay. left, and we've covered everything we need to cover from Oregon State's win over Boise State. So I do want to highlight a couple yes, of other Pac-12. scores from around the Pac-12 because it was a really interesting week from the conference. It struggled against the SEC. It had two games against the SEC. Oregon obviously got absolutely demolished by Georgia, losing 49-3. to Utah goes down to the swamp at, at Florida, came up just three points short of beating Florida, game, had an opportunity at the very end. Cam Rising was intercepted in the end zone. Um, if not, at the very least, that game's going to overtime because Utah's yeah. probably kicking a field goal there. So the conference didn't perform against other Power 5 conferences like you'd hope to see it, but I think for the most part, it, it took care of business where it needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, Arizona State with a big win over Northern Arizona by 37. Colorado, I, I think, you know, that 38 to 13 loss against TCU. You and I don't expect really anything from Colorado this year, so that wasn't a surprise. Colorado is the basement of the Pac-12. Yeah. 
UCLA 45 to 17 over Bowling Green, Arizona 38 to 20 over San Diego State. I think surprised some people. I said Arizona State's going to be a surprise this year. I don't think it's the worst team in the Pac-12. It played hard. It played hard for Jed Fish last year. Um, I didn't see an 18 point win coming, but I think Arizona Especially is San Diego State. So how how about that? The Pac-12, who struggled against Mountain West opponents last year, goes out and takes care of business over Boise State and uh, San Diego State week one. USC put up 66 points on Rice in a 66 to 14 win. Cal took care of business against UC Davis, 34 to 13. Stanford against Colgate. Game was never in question, 41 to 10. <laughs> Colgate had a football team. <laughs> That's a toothpaste. That yes. is a toothpaste brand. <laughs> Washington State had a bit of a nail biter against its Palouse rival in Idaho, uh, just about 15 miles apart are those campuses. It was 24 to 17 with the Cougars pulling that one out at the end. And then Washington in the nightcap, along with Oregon state uh, getting a win 45 to 20 over Kent state. Like I said, all in all Pac-12 pretty much took care of business where it was expected to. And I think struggled in the games that it was also expected to. So no real surprises there. Angie, one last thing before we get out of here was Oregon state's 34 to 17 win over Boise state the best win for the Pac-12 this week? Uh, Yeah, I I would say it is right up there. And I would actually put Arizona over San Diego State, too. I think those two against quality opponents, I I think, and and neither team being super strong in the past, I think both were were strong. I think Boise State had aspirations, though, of going undefeated this season. Um, There was a lot of hope there in Boise that this was going to be back to their glory years and um, and the fashion that Oregon state, they didn't just beat them. This game was never in question from the first quarter on. So um, Oregon state, I think made the biggest statement of any team in the PAC 12. 34 to 17, Oregon state takes down Boise state in week one. That's a wrap for our first recap episode of the damn podcast. The season we're going to be back on Thursday to preview week two, Oregon state at Fresno state down in the central Valley. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado One. You can follow me at Carter Baines. And we'll talk to you on Thursday for another episode of the Damn Podcast.